You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. This is our last installment, our last talk about uh, Christmas. We've been talking about Christmas all this month, and um, it's not too late to talk about Christmas. How many of your trees are still up and your Christmas lights are still up? See, so we're fine to still talk about Christmas. It's allowed. That's the rule. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We're in verse 1. And I'm going to read for you the story of the wise men. Everybody say, the wise men. It's a pretty good story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And by the way, there's Bibles on your table if you you didn't bring yours. Um, Matthew chapter 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, those are the wise men or philosophers or astrologers, that's what a Magi is, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Imagine it, just for a second, I mean, think about what it's actually saying. It's saying somebody's looking in the stars and saw the star of the new king coming, and, and they're asking around about, where is this king? We're sure he's here because we saw his star. Verse 3 says, when King Herod heard that he was heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Ju- Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ to be born? Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for it is written by the prophet. Um, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea. And this, by the way, is a direct quote from Micah 2.5, in case you didn't know that. Um, so they're quoting the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Ju- Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called Magi secretly and found out the exact time the star had appeared. And he has sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As, as soon as you find him, report to me so that you too may go out, so that I too may go out and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star had been seen in the east, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Everybody say, Do stars stop? <laughs> we'll talk about that. Verse 10, then they saw the star, where they, and they had been overjoyed. Verse 11 says, on coming to the house, not the manger, Jesus a little older then, uh, on coming to the house, they saw the child. The Greek word, just in case you're wondering, is pideon, which usually means um, ch- uh, toddler. So maybe he's around two or something. We don't quite know. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And they had been warned in the dream, do not go back to Herod. And they returned to their own country by another route. Isn't that an awesome story? These people searching and finding <clears throat> Jesus. And then they give him gifts and worship him. Everybody say, yeah. All right, well, I've asked Joel to open us in a, in a word of prayer this morning. So would you bow your heads? Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you today and we thank you for your son. And we thank you for the awesome, awesome gift that you gave. Father, we, um, we just come before you and we seek you, Father. And we pray that um, as we seek you that we would be blessed, yes, but also that we would bless you. Father, we love you and we thank you. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about Christmas time and um, all that goes along with Christmas. And there's just so much fruit around Christmas time. And what I mean by fruit is spiritual fruit. 
I think if we opened it up to stories, some of us might have stories of, yeah, I got to talk to some of the people that I work with, and we were talking about Christmas lights, and then it got a little bit more serious, and I got to share with them what I really believe the true meaning of Christmas is. Or some of you might say, um, yeah, I got to invite some people to church that would never, ever go to church. Maybe they're family members or friends, and they came to the Christmas Eve service or a service around Christmas time because it's just kind of the thing to do. And maybe there's fruit, spiritual fruit, of those people that came, and they say, yeah, maybe I'm going to try it again. I'm going to come back. I really like this, this church thing. I like what what was said here. I like the story of Jesus. And so there's lots of fruit, spiritual fruit around Christmas time. John Bolin tells a story. John Bolin is like the maker of, of Wonderland, the original creator, and it was the director. Uh, and last year he tells a story of um, a kid that tried out to be a gymnast in Wonderland. Um, and Wonderland has like all the acrobatics and people that do flips and aerials and cool stuff like that. This high school kid tried out. He had never been to church before. He wasn't a Christian. But he was dang good when it came to being a gymnast guy, kind of aerial jumper dude. And so, um, and so he was really good. So good that John made him the director of one of the scenes, a choreographer of one of the scenes. And so here this kid is, a high school kid, extremely talented when it comes to being a gymnast. Had never been to church, wasn't a Christian. And yet, being around new lifers, being around new life around Christmas time and hearing the message behind Wonderland, which is the message behind Christmas, he became a Christian. Isn't that a cool story? There's all this fruit around Christmas time. All this because people are just open to being spiritual. People are open to the little baby that was born in a manger and the story behind him. It's a good time of the year. And so the question that I want to ask you is, um, it's a question that's going to be a hard question for you to answer. You're going to be like, man, that's a hard one. In fact, this question might have been a question that someone has thrown back at you, maybe thrown into your face as you've been, maybe you're saying, I'm a Christian. And they're saying, well, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist or something like that. And you kind of get into a conversation or maybe even an argument. They might ask you the question, what about people that have never heard of the gospel of Jesus? Has anyone ever asked you that question before? Have you ever heard of that question or have maybe you've, you've thought to yourself, that question, what happens to people that are living somewhere and for some reason live their whole life and never hear the name of Jesus, never hear about the Bible? What happens to those people? It's a good question, don't you think? Well, we're going to have to, the, this, uh, the whole today, we're going to kind of answer that question. So hang on tight. But I thought first, it's, it's whenever someone asks me a theological or a philosophical question, always try to, at least in my head, sometimes I just jump right into it and get all excited because um, I love theology like all of you nerd fighters. <laughs> but um, sometimes I just go right into it. But I think it's better to have the question, to think about the question, take a step back, and then kind of build a foundation under that question. So we're going to take that question. What happens to people that have never heard about Jesus? We're going to open up the shelf, the top shelf, and put that question in there, close the shelf, go to the bottom shelf, Open up that drawer and talk about something more foundational for just a second. Is that okay? All right. If you go to your notes, it says, um, and I, I really like taking notes, and so we give you special little things to take notes on. We call it a skillet. Um, in there it says absolute truth. And I think it's, that's more of a foundational item that we need to talk about just real quick. So we're going to take five minutes and talk about absolute truth. Absolute truth means that something is true, absolutely. It's true in every circumstances. It's true, um, what's true is true. 
And so our, our society, our culture um, kind of says, um, and if you watch Oprah enough, she'll say something like, um, well, whatever's true for you is true for you. What's true for them is true for them. What's true for them is true for them. What's true for me is true for me. What's true for you is true for you, right? And as long as you follow your heart, as long as you follow what you believe to be true, then it's all good, right? That's kind of the message, at least, of Oprah and our culture. And it's just the, uh, it's, the, it's, the it's what Oprah's all about. We'll, we'll talk about Oprah a little later. Because um, I know you all love Oprah for real, um, especially you guys. <laughs> Anyways, that is, um, that's an idea that, that it's, it's an idea that says contradictory things can be true. That, that if someone says, yeah, well, Buddhism is true for me, Christianity is true for you, you should say, wait a minute, to be honest, one of us has to be wrong, one of us has to be right, because Jesus says he's the only way, and Buddha says the only way through enlightenment is through um, sitting down and meditating and thinking about literally nothingness. Who's right? Those things contradict each other be as if someone came busting in to the, the, the tag chapel right here and said, there's, there's fire in the hall. We all got to head out. And then someone else came in and said, there's no fire in here. What's this guy talking about? Well, either there is or there is not a fire in the hall. Either we have to get out or we don't have to get out. What would we do? Well, we'd look at the two people and say, well, one of you is, is telling the truth. One of you is telling a lie. Or maybe one of you is telling the truth and one of you is maybe not telling a lie to be deceivous, but to telling a lie because you're totally misinformed about what a fire is. Um, one of you, we either do or we don't have to leave. There either is or there isn't a fire in the hall. And so we would go out and maybe one of us, we'd send Big Bill because he's big and he's a fireman. Um, we send him out because I'm scared to go out there if there's a fire. Um, and he would come back in and we trust Bill and he would tell us whether there's a fire or there's not a fire. And there either either is or there isn't either something is true or something is false jesus said this i'm gonna i'm gonna have you um flip around to a few different verses and i think it's really fun to to actually flip with me we're gonna put it on the screens um if you if you want but uh, turn to matthew 7 matthew 7 13 and by the way if you didn't bring your bible we have them on the table and if you want to take that bible home and steal it you can so it's not really stealing. <laughs> yeah, you really can. You could, you could take it, and, and it, it could be yours. We want you to have a Bible. It's important. We really believe in them. So um, Matthew seven thirteen. This is the, the words of Jesus. My, my Bible has that in red, so it's actually Jesus talking. And it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But then he says, Small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So Jesus says that, there's the, the, that there isn't all these roads leading to the same place. Like the, an analogy that maybe Oprah might give. That, that all these paths lead to the same God. Jesus said there's, there's tons of big paths. But they're leading to destruction. There's only one. And it's small and it's narrow. And it leads to what's true. If you would turn to another scripture in uh, John 14. And maybe some of you have even memorized this verse. It's, it's pretty popular. John 14, 6. And it's a, it's a, you could underline it in your Bible if you like underlining things. It's a really popular, popular verse. Um, it's where Jesus basically um, gives a great explanation for why he's here. Jesus answers and says, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. Have you heard this before? And then he says this. He says something, I mean, just amazing. It's crazy almost. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so a non-Christian might be talking with you or arguing with you and say, and say, you Christians are so arrogant. You think that you have your religion is the only religion and all other religions are wrong. Don't you think that's arrogant? If someone said that to me, I would say, you know, what, what I believe is because what Jesus directly said it. And Jesus would be, would be extremely arrogant if he was not who he said he was. If Jesus was just some dude saying that I am the only way to the Father, saying that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, would that person be arrogant if they really weren't God? Yeah, they would be the definition of arrogant. They would be calling themselves God. They would be saying, I'm the only way to heaven. It would be extremely arrogant. But if Jesus really was who he said he was, and I believe he, he was because of the miracles he did, because of his resurrection, because it's just writtenly documented in the Bible, I believe it's true. And so if Jesus was God, then it makes him a very humble God, that he would come, and, and as we're mi- reminded about Christmas and the story of the manger, how he came so humbly and, and, and was in a manger, which is just a pig trough or any kind of trough, really, an animal trough, and grew up and then died and suffered on a cross. That's God himself on a cross. That's a very humble thing for a God to do, don't you think? Yeah, and so that's how, that's how I would kind of talk about that. But the main purpose of this, the bottom shelf that we're still talking about, is that we do believe in absolute truth. We believe that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus, because he said it. I was on a road trip one time in uh, Utah with, with a bunch of Christian friends. Uh, there was kind of like a college group, a part of our church. Only, it was just like the middle, only like a 1,000 people less. <laughs> so it was like 10 of us. And uh, it was a really good group. And what was cool about it is that we all knew each other. We all did stuff together. Uh, we were on a road trip one time going, I think, somewhere for our fall retreat. And we were on a, a highway, not the freeway, a highway where, um, where it's two lanes. And so if you want to pass someone, you obviously have to get into oncoming traffic and pass them quick and move over. Always makes me a little nervous. The driver was kind of doing that and passing people. I was like, dude, watch the road. Be careful. Um, he's just flying around through this highway. And up behind us comes a screaming, fast, sweet Corvette. Um, and, and a guy, I think he, made, he might have had a mullet. Who knows? Uh, it makes the story better at least. I apologize if, if anyone has a mullet. I had a mullet for two weeks once. I thought it was really cool. Uh, man, that was a rabbit trail. So this Corvette comes screaming up behind us, and instead of passing us, he kind of goes to, goes to pass us, but then kind of slows down and, and goes even with us for, for just a minute. And we kind of look at him, and he's looking at us, and his windows are a little tinted, so it's hard to tell what he's doing, but he's kind of doing some hand motions. We're like, what is this guy doing? And we look in, and he's, and he's kind of going like this. We're like, is he flipping us off? And the driver's like, he's flipping us off? Let's flip him off. <laughs> but then he thinks, oh, wait, we can't. We have Christian bumper stickers on our car. We can't do that. And then we're like, what is this guy's deal? What's his problem? Is he checking out the girls that are in the backseat? What is going on? Why is he doing this? And, and, as, as we're, and he's, he's kind of got one finger up. And we're like, what is he doing? Um, and as he passes us and gets right in front of us, we see that his car has this symbol on it, which maybe some of you have seen before. Have you seen that before? I didn't draw it very well, but it's the Christian fish thing. Uh, that's really bad. That's not very good. Uh, but you've seen it. How many of you have it on your car? Don't lie. 
A couple of you. Okay, that's not that many. Um, so he had a Christian fish, and he had a bunch of Christian bumper stickers. And then we thought to ourselves, wait, the car that we're in, the driver, he has a Christian fish and a bunch of Christian bumper stickers. And what, he, what we realized he was doing was he was like, must have been singing along with his Christian, Christian music, rocking out, like saying one way. One way was his symbol. Don't you think? One way. And he's looking at us, yeah, one way, man. And that's... I mean, think about it. Do we have any other hand gestures that gesture Christ? I mean, you go like this, but that's kind of like for Dracula movies. You're like, oh, wait. So you can't do that to somebody. And so the motion that we have to, to greet one another is, I think it's a pretty good one to go one way. And so <laughs> have you ever seen somebody, I'm sure you do it all the time, you see uh, someone driving around Colorado Springs and they have a mill sticker, and you pull up next to them and you're like, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> Well, now you know what to do, because if you just wave to them and they wave back, they're like, uh, hi, you weirdo. Now you know what to do. You give them the one way. One way. <laughs> That's what I'm going to start doing, so in case you're wondering. But it's really our, as Christians, it's really what we're all about. We're all about there being one way to God. And so that one way is important. And so as we, as we talked about absolute truth, there being one way, that's in the bottom drawer. Let's now go and open the top drawer and ask the question, okay, if we do believe that Jesus is the only way, what about people that have never even heard the name of Jesus, never even seen a Bible? What about those people? Good question, don't you think? I think it is too. Um, and, and as a side note, a little rabbit trail, if you will. Do you want to hear a little rabbit trail? I think it's becoming, um, you know, it used to be able to, maybe in like our parents or grandparents' lifetime, it was pretty easy to say, oh, deep in the heart of Africa or deep in the heart of Asia or deep in the heart of South America, there's whole tribes, whole countries maybe that have never heard the name of Jesus or have seen a Bible. But I think that's becoming less and less of a real realistic kind of thing that i mean for sure don't get me wrong for sure there's people in this world that have never heard the name of jesus but i think it's becoming i mean because of our missionaries don't you love missionaries that go to to go to foreign places of people that may have don't really know who jesus is and they tell them all about jesus i think it's really cool places like africa asia and south america those three places by the way are are all growing in christianity more than the united states you're more likely to become a christian in one of those three places than you are to, be a, to become a Christian, at least, in the United States. Pretty cool, don't you think? As far as Bibles go, did you know that there's six billion Bibles on the face of the earth? Is that a lot of Bibles? There's probably about, as most people guess, uh, that, I mean, there's no way of really counting, um, but most people would guess that there's enough Bibles for one for every person. And the Bibles have been translated in almost, I mean, whatever language you speak, even if it's like a weird little, um, even I read this, even like, what's the weird Star Trek language? Vulcan or something? <laughs> Somebody knows. <laughs> There's, I'm dead serious. The New Testament has been translated into Klingon. Dead serious. Um, how about that for a side note? Uh, but the Bible's in almost every language, at least parts of it, at least parts of the New Testament are in almost every language. Um, and to give you an idea, um, the, the Bible's the most, the biggest book ever to be written as far as number of Bibles on the earth. The book of Islam is the next biggest religious book. Um, the Quran is what it's called. And there's 800 million Qurans. There's 800 million Qurans, 6 billion Bibles. You know what that difference really is? If you were to count, sit down and count every Quran, one Quran, two Qurans, 
three Qurans. One per second, it would take you 28 years to count all the Qurans. That's a lot of Qurans, right? If you were to sit down and count all the Bibles, one Bible, two Bible, you know how long it would take you? 248 years to count all the Bibles. That's a big difference, don't you think? And so the Bible, um, all this is part of a side note that just says it's becoming, it's becoming a, a, a less and less of a, of a question about what about whole countries or whole people groups that have never heard about Jesus. And I just think that's cool. And we have long-term overseas missionaries to thank for that. I think that's really cool. And so that's just a side note. But here's, here's one of the answers I want to give to you. Um, under the notes, um, the star, the star or never heard of Jesus I think the story that we just read has a very interesting answer to the whole, the whole question of what about people that have never heard the name of Jesus? What happens to them if they've never heard? And, and what's so interesting, I think, about the story of the wise men, to kind of recap that story, they're, they're magi or wise men or philosophers, um, and they're just they're people that are studying. There's a picture of them, by the way. Um, and we learned last week, remember when we took the, the Christmas quiz, that there wasn't necessarily three of them. Remember that? The Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't, he's not, Jesus isn't in a manger there. Uh, he's a little bit older. That's probably the case. He probably still wasn't in a manger a year later. I mean, that would stink. Um, literally. Um, and so in the olden days of like 1 AD, 2 AD, did you have an iPod back then? If you did, it was probably like the cord kind with the, just kidding. <laughs> so dumb. They didn't have Nintendo Wii's back then. Did anyone get one for Christmas? Nobody, I guess, because they were out of stock or something. Uh, they didn't have um, TV back then. I mean, think about all the things that we do to kind of relax and hang out. Um, they they didn't even have books back then. I mean, they definitely had books, but books were so extremely, ridiculously expensive that with the printing press wasn't around until like the 1500s. And so every book that you owned, if it was first AD was literally handwritten by someone. And that would be extremely expensive. The average person probably never even saw a book, much less had a book or read a book. So it, could, it wouldn't be like you were hanging out by the campfire reading books to spend time. There was nothing to do. I mean, think about it. No movie theaters. I mean, all the things that we do, at least, they didn't have any of them. They probably did like cow tipping was, it was what they did. Or, or get this, even in a big city without the diesel pollution and all that, they had the stars. And so what was so common amongst that day was to study the stars, to look at the stars, to look up, even if you're a kid, and say, wait, where's that one that looks like the, the archer again? Oh, yeah, there it is. Where's the one that looks like the lion? Oh, yeah, I see the lion's head. Where's the one that, that looks like a crown? Oh, there it is. There's the crown. And so you'd see these things, and you'd spend your time maybe making up stories, and these stories go on for like, Thousands, thousands of years B.C. are the stories that kind of end up today in what's the horoscopes, like Virgo and Leo and uh, the other uh, ten of them. Yeah, all, the, all the, the horoscope stuff. And so here's some dudes, some people coming from the east. It says they were magi, studying the stars, studying God's creation. And I think if you, if you do horoscope stuff and kind of believe in all the spiritual mumbo-jumbo, and maybe even worship the gods of Leo and Virgo and the gods of the stars. That's dumb. That's worshiping the creation. That's just dumb. But studying the stars in such a way that these magi did is just so cool because they ended up finding Jesus 
from the creation that God made. Can I show you a verse that I think is really, really cool? If you want to turn to it, in Romans um, chapter 1, verse 20. Some of you may know this verse as well. And I think this, this, is, this, by the way, is all beginning to answer the question, at least in my mind. It's beginning to answer the question, what about those that have never heard of Jesus? And this, this verse, I'm going to read it for you twice because it's just that good. Romans 1, verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Have you heard that verse before? It's ridiculously huge um, in a good way. It says, for, this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His qualities that, that make up who He is, such as His eternal power, His divine nature, it says they've been clearly seen from creation, from the creation on this earth. And then it says, being understood from what has been made, so that, that men and women can look at what has been made and say, yes. There has to be a creator. Yes, there has to be some God in charge of all this. And then there's a comma. And then it says, so that men and women are without excuse. So that all people are without excuse. Because God's clear properties have been shown by his creation. Think about that for just a second. And think about the wise men looking at stars trying to find this king that's been born. In, in just a minute, I'm going to show you a clip. I was gonna. I really wanted to get into this this star thing. It's just been fascinating to me. Um, this is a DVD called "The Star of Bethlehem." Has anyone ever heard of it? It's this dude that goes around and lectures about the star, and he, he pulls all this data together, and he has a sweet computer generator of what the stars looked like back then. You know that we could predict the exact second when we're gonna see the next solar eclipse or the next lunar eclipse. Did you know that? I mean, just go to the paper. They'll tell you the exact or the internet or something. Like if there's a big one about to happen, they'll, they'll tell you exactly what time it is to make sure that you don't look directly at it. <laughs> it's like, that's all I want to do. I just want to stare at it. <laughs> oh, man, what time is it? I got a rabbit trail. And, and I think the last really big, at least for me, that I remember the, the solar eclipse was like when I was in fourth grade, and it was right as school got out. And all day the teachers were talking about this, this solar eclipse that only happens maybe once in your lifetime kind of thing. And, and they were all like, do not look at it. You'll go blind. And as like a little fourth grader, I was so scared that like we all went outside and I was just like covering down like for cover. <laughs> oh, man, that's a rabbit trail, though. Uh, we could predict the exact second, which because the motion of the stars and the moon and the sun are, are all follow this order. And so we could trace it into the future, what it's going to be like. We could trace it into the past and go back even to like, 0 AD or 1 or 2 or 3 AD and say, this is what the night sky looked like way back in the day um, at Bethlehem. We could, we could turn the, the computer thing from the point of view of Bethlehem and say, this is what the star must have looked like. Did you know that there's a dude um, named, uh, you've probably heard of him because um, like every year, Time Magazine comes up with like a man or woman of the year, you know, and every, uh, it's coming around January, so that time's coming upon us. Um, in the year 2000, they looked back and said, here's the top men and women of the millennium, the last thousand years, who were the biggest influencers of our millennium. And always, no matter who makes that list, always in the top five is a dude named Newton, Isaac Newton. We have a picture of him because he's, he's definitely a ladies' man. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a mullet. Um, 
not really, not really. I should, shouldn't say that. That's horrible. Um, <clears throat> Isaac Newton, his big thing in history, his big thing in science, he was a Christian, a believer, and he believed that God had made that all these things on earth were so perfectly aligned and God was in charge of it all and had made it and created it all, that there was order to it. And he believed in math, that everything could have a mathematical equation to it. And so he came up with the, the properties of physics that an object of motion stays in motion, you know the rest, from physics class. He came up with calculus when he was like 22. How many of you are 22? I mean, you're not coming, maybe, maybe you are, maybe you're real nerds, coming up with inventing calculus, a new type of math. Um, he's really cool like that. That's what he was doing. Um, and and he, his main thing was that he believed, because he was a Christian, because he believed in God, that everything could be in this mathematical order and could be generated into these mathematical principles. And, um, and from that, we, we had a clear understandings of the stars and all this stuff. Um, so let's take a look at the video. Should we see the video? It's like a five-minute clip of the Star of Bethlehem, and this guy is basically going to show us what the star was, what the star very well could have been. Um, and if you want to go to their website, if you want to write it down later, it's the thestarofbethlehem.net is the guy that put out this DVD. And he filmed it right here in Colorado Springs, <laughs> like it, two years ago. Where's Robin? There she is. Just wave, Robin. So she, you got to wave. There she is. So uh, she's in it. So she's famous. She's like one of the people in the crowd. Just in case, I just wanted to embarrass Robin. I'm sorry. All right, let's roll this puppy. <clears throat> okay, now I'm going to show you something that you can see in any planetarium around the world. Even if they don't believe in Jesus or you know, the Bible or anything, they're going to show you this at Christmas. Because all planetaria do Christmas shows. That's the only way they can get you in there, right? Um, and they always show this event because this event is simply so spectacular. Whether they believe in God or not, they're going to show you this, this shot. Um, I'm going to kind of cheat as I show it to you, though, because the, the, uh, observation back then was all naked eye observation. They had no lenses. So but I'm going to cheat. I'm going to zoom in because I want to show you guys. I'm going to take you in on the secret of what's happening here. They couldn't zoom, but we can. So I'm going to zoom in way in. Until finally, I get those two objects separated. One of them's Jupiter. The other one's another planet. And you're going to tell me which one, too. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. That's the mother planet. Venus is the mother planet. So we have Jupiter, the king planet, and Venus, the mother planet, coming into very close conjunction. That seems kind of pregnant, doesn't it? In fact, they got even closer than that. Let me wind time forward just a little bit. What I'm trying to show you is that they really stacked like a figure eight. So they didn't block each other's light. They added... What you had then was two stars stacked on top of each other, too close together to separate with the naked eye. And so to an observer, it appeared to be the brightest star anyone alive had ever seen. Um, you, we know the math, and so I can tell you that no one alive had ever seen a star that bright. That was it. I believe the star Bethlehem was the brightest star. So we've seen the birth of a king in the sky. We've seen the brightest star. This is stuff he's already gone over. But now we have the issue of it being in the south. Remember when they were traveling from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, <coughs> The star is said to have been before them, ahead of them. In the, so it would have to be in the southern sky. So let's go back to the sky and see if Jupiter did that. They've now traveled to Jerusalem. It's November. I've given them some time for travel. This is south. Remember, uh, 
Bethlehem is due south of Jerusalem. And at 7 in the morning, sure enough, there in the sky, in the southern sky, is Jupiter over the little town of Bethlehem. Now the hard part, though. Can a star stop? How can a star stop? That was a puzzler. Because we all know stars can't stop. I mean, physics and inertia prevent that. So I puzzled all of that hard. I worried about that one until I realized that I had the problem upside down. And I had it backwards. The problem is not that stars can't stop. The problem is that all stars are always stopped. I mean, they move like the hour hand on your watch. You can't see it. You know it's moving, but you can see it move. Well, if the problem is that stars are always stopped, what can Matthew have meant by saying the star stopped? And I thought, retrograde motion, because, of course, stars do stop. Planets do in, in their movement through the field of fixed stars. They stop. They even reverse course. And that's how I think retrograde motion explains what the star stopping was. So did Jupiter do that? Let's have a look. I'll animate Jupiter and let it drop a tail. And then you see it. Sure enough, Jupiter comes to a full stop and reverses course over the little town of Bethlehem. But I want to show you another screen that's more fun because I can throw dates with it. Now what I'm going to do on this one is I'm going to let Jupiter fly through the field of fixed stars and it's going to throw off dates so we can tell when these events are happening. The first one there, I know it's small, I'll read it for you. It says 1030 of 2 BC. Now let's fly Jupiter. You see it moving through the fixed stars. There's, that says 1125 of 2 BC. And it's slowing up. It's going to stop right about here. Reverse course. The date when it stopped over the little town of Bethlehem, 1225 of 2 B.C. Does that date sound familiar? Well, Mr. Larson, you mean they st- we went down there on Christmas? Well, it turns out that's true. Um, am I saying that Jesus was born on 1225? No, I'm not saying that at all. Absolutely. In fact, I don't think anyone thinks that. No, I, what I'm saying is that that is quite, literally, quite possibly the date of the first Christmas. Did it have any meaning to them? No, it had no meaning. The date had no meaning to them because they didn't even use our calendar system. I mean, but it does have meaning to us. It could well be assigned to us. Um, let me give you, give you the chronology now. In September of 3 BC, Jupiter crowns Regulus in Leo, uprises Virgo, clothed in the sun, new moon birthed at her feet, Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year. Nine months later, the biggest planet goes together with the brightest planet to make the brightest star anyone alive had ever seen. Where? Right over Jerusalem as it sets. The Magi ride. They get there uh, sometime around November. They go to Herod and they say, we've seen the star. Where's the baby king? Uh, Herod says, uh, Bethlehem. So they're leaving uh, the gates of Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem, five-mile trek. Uh, and they look up and there's the star. There's Jupiter right over this little town of Bethlehem. One of the guys, he's the guy who does the math for the group. He's going, wait, 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 wait. It's in full retrograde. It's stopped right over the little town of Bethlehem. They ride down to the Bethlehem on 1225, 2 BC. We know that's the date because that's when the star stopped. They're carrying gifts, remember? Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. They find the baby boy. Is he uh, living in a manger? No, 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 no. He's moved. He's in, a, he's in a house now. He's described in Greek as a pideon. He's a toddler. They find the baby boy, and they present these fabulous gifts to him on what turns out to be the first Christmas, 1225 of 2 BC. And now I've shared with you the star of Bethlehem, but now I'm going to reveal something to you. It turns out in my studies, I find that the star of Bethlehem is the beginning of what I think of as a celestial poem that ends at Christ's death. I think that's it. Yeah.
Did you see? Did you? Could, I mean, you kind you kind of have. I just showed you a, a five-minute clip of this hour-long DVD um, that you could get from StarOfBethlehem.net. It's amazing. He goes over the actual motions of the stars, and it's pretty cool to think that these these wise men. I saw this bumper sticker. I just kind of into bumper stickers this morning. I saw a bumper that sticker that said, "Wise men are still seeking him." You like that? <laughs> I like that. Wise men are still seeking him. They, they, they sought him from the stars of all things, and they found him. Just imagine these, let's just call them three, maybe four, maybe a hundred. We don't really know for sure. Um, go down to Bethlehem, and they start asking around. What do they ask? It's like, here we are in Bethlehem. We know that a king is here because the star has stopped. Um, have you seen any kings being born? They're asking people. They're walking around. Have you, has, has any kings been born this, this month, uh, in the last couple years? Uh, has anybody been born? Of course people have been born. There's lots of babies running around. How in the world did they find Jesus? I don't know. It just kind of leaves off that particular part of the story. But they must have had great faith in, in the God that created the stars, that put it all in motion, that they were sure that a little baby had been born and that, that they were coming to worship the King of Kings, God himself. It's a pretty sweet story, don't you think? Do you appreciate it? It's, I mean, it's right there in the Bible. I think it's just really cool. Um, I want to show you another video clip. Are you ready for an Oprah video clip? <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> this is, uh, it's a couple years ago. Oprah, and after, you, the, what this clip is going to be, it's, it's pretty short. So you'll have to pay attention. It's only like a minute or two. Um, some, some ladies are arguing with Oprah. Uh, and by the way, I'm not an Oprah hater. I think she's pretty cool, and she does a lot of good things. Um, I'm not an Oprah lover either. I don't sit down at whatever time every day and watch it. Yeah, I do. Just kidding. <laughs> I really don't. Um, and so there's some ladies arguing with Oprah. Uh, one of them with the mic is a Christian, and she presents herself very, fairly well. And Oprah asks the question that we've been talking about that's on the top shelf that we're asking, what about those that have never heard of Jesus? And... Uh, and the lady, the Christian with the microphone, is about to answer. And then, like, another Christian pipes up in the audience. And she says, uh, she says some weird stuff. It doesn't really make sense, um, to, to be honest. But I think we, as Christians, as believers, need to have a response to someone that, that asks, well, what about those that have never heard of Jesus? What happens to them? What happens to their eternal salvation? And so that's the question that we're going to discuss right after we see this clip. The question of, what would you say to Oprah when she asked the question, uh, what happens to people that have never heard the name of Jesus? Let's roll that. A panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us, that we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. Oh, I think power of darkness. And that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute, definitely. Yeah. Now, now Marianne uh, Williams says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, it, which, which is Anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway. Uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way. 
to live and that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a human being and and many ways no but many paths to what you call god and her path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her if it brings her to the same point that it brings you it doesn't matter whether she called it god along the way or not and i guess the danger that could be on that i mean it it sounds great on the onset but if you really look at both sides I there could couldn't possibly be just one way what what about jesus what about jesus There is one way and only one way, and that is through Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with a million people in the world. There couldn't possibly be. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. Do you think think that if you you are somewhere on the planet, if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus, you cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. People are talked about that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or does God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay, okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not religion, Oprah. I can't get into a religious argument. (laughs) It's a heated one, huh? Would you take just a minute and, and talk amongst your friends at, the, at your table and say, what would you quickly say to Oprah? There's, there's little pieces of paper on your table if you want to write down some quick ideas, but just take like 60 seconds and say, what would you say to Oprah about that question? Does anyone want to be bold enough to share uh, with all of Sunday school their thoughts about what they might say to Oprah Winfrey? Do you want to share your thoughts? All right, the, you and then Big Bill. All right. Shh, let's listen. Yeah, could, would you mind standing up for us just so everyone could hear? Yeah, so what would, so to Oprah specifically, what would you say, Bill? Yeah, yeah. It's important that that people do hear the gospel of Jesus. But what would you say to Oprah? Do you, do you have an answer? Every, everybody at your table is pointing at you. Do you want to share? You don't have to. Do you want to? Would you mind standing so everybody could hear? Wow. Yeah. Because she's had this dream, this image. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I like that.
Do you want the last page? You had your hand up. Do you want the last word? I think here's what I would say something like this to Oprah, and I've given a lot of thought. If I was there in the audience, um, I probably would have said something different because I would be all excited, probably screaming like the other ladies. <laughs> probably not. Anyways, I would say I think the 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 one Christian lady. I think she made a mistake because she said Oprah said, "Well, you can't tell me that if someone has never heard of Jesus, that that they would go to hell just because they had never heard of Jesus." And then the lady I think makes a mistake, and she says. Well, God j- just judges their heart. And then Oprah jumps on that because, uh, re- honestly, Oprah is a genius. And uh, she's really smart in her, in her own way of thinking, at least. Um, and, she, and then she says, she throws, throws it back and says, well, isn't it, about the, isn't it about the heart and not just calling the Son of God Jesus? Did you, did you see that part? And, and so, it's just, it's, it's, honestly, it's genius of Oprah to say that because then it throws it back and says, yeah, and according to Oprah, yes, it really is just the heart. And what Oprah means by uh, that God judges our heart is that, oh, if we're nice people and if we have a good heart and we're loving to one another and um, we do good things and we're true to ourselves and true to our heart, then God will just judge that and then we'll all be saved, according to Oprah. And, th- and so I think it's, 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 it's kind of a mistake that that lady said, well, then God will just judge your heart. Because I don't think God just judges our heart. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful. The heart is, is uh, emotions, and our heart can betray us, and our heart can get caught up in doing the wrong things, and our heart can tell us to do a bunch of nice things, and then after we do the bunch of nice things, we could come to God and say, God, I did all these nice things. How could you send me to hell? My heart's good because I did all these nice things. I think a better response to Oprah would be to say, we're, we're saved by a Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's possible, and th- this is me talking now, and and, and there's... There's a little bit of Bible evidence that we could look at to show you this, but it's, it's kind of my opinion uh, of what happens specifically. If, if the, que- the question is, can someone be saved without knowing the name of Jesus? And I would say, well, maybe someone, has the, uh, maybe someone is, is thinking through how salvation has to work. And they come to the realization that, that salvation can't work by their just being good or having a good heart or doing nice things or being nice or avoiding bad things. They come to a realization that they are sinful, that they need a savior, and they turn to God, and they have this idea of Emmanuel, which is a Christmas word that means what? God with us. They have this idea that only God himself could save us from our sins. Maybe they've never heard the actual name of Jesus who lived in first century AD and was from Nazareth and and from Israel, but they have this idea of Emmanuel. They have this idea that only God himself could save. They have this idea of creator. They have, they have their full trust in God alone to save them. And then it, for me, I, I, I make the jump personally and say, I think that person could be saved. Some people would say, no, they need to know the name of Jesus. And, and to me, I would, I, would, I would pull up maybe examples like you gave of, of a woman that 
um, had a dream where Jesus appeared to her. Or there, there's other religions that, that have aspects of Christianity, aspects of what's really true in them. And so would I say that there's other ways to, to God the Father except through Jesus? I would say no way. There's only one way. Jesus makes it extremely clear that he is the only way to salvation. And yet if someone, if someone is searching him, it, uh, maybe they will find him, maybe they won't. Maybe they're truly searching, maybe they're not truly searching. I think if someone truly searches God, and, and like the book of Romans says, that the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities are being made known. That I believe maybe they don't know specifically about Jesus of Nazareth, but they have the idea of Savior. They have the idea of Emmanuel. They have the idea that maybe God would have to suffer for them in order for them to be saved because they can't save themselves. They can't have a good enough heart or a clean enough way of life. That's just kind of my thinking. That's what I would say to Oprah. What do you think? Big Bill? I think the name is more than just a visual or like a verbal name. It's the power of God. So when you tell somebody about the name of Jesus, like when everybody says, I come in the name of the Lord, mm-hmm. I come with like sword and spear, I come with the power and authority of God, that changes your heart. So it's a matter of the heart. But everybody's heart is formed until God comes in the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I do know what you're saying. Yeah, that's good. And don't make, I mean, I'm kind of saying that you don't need the name of Jesus. That's not really what I'm saying. I'm saying there is power in the name of Jesus. One of the, one of the, there's a verse in the Bible that says um, that the name of Jesus is powerful. There's, there's lots of verses that just have that idea. And so don't get me wrong in saying you don't need to really know Jesus. I'm saying that it's possible to have the underlying what's on the bottom shelf of this whole salvational issue that Emmanuel, Savior, a Savior must come for you and maybe God himself would have to suffer for you. And I've heard other stories like the one that was shared about the, the Chinese woman that there's other stories of people kind of having that a big theology about Emmanuel and God coming and then a missionary comes and says, yeah, his name is Jesus. I, that's who I came to tell you about. You already believe this. I'm going to add to that and say, it's really about this. Let me make it extremely clear to you. And I think that's, I think personally that's a good way to talk to Oprah if you were on the Oprah show screaming like a bunch of ladies. <laughs> you know, my testimony, there's, there's, a lot, there's a couple of different things that make my testimony what it is. And my testimony is basically how I came to know Christ around the time of high school. And I, was, I grew up Catholic and kind of knew about Jesus, kind of didn't um, as far as real saving power of Jesus by having a relationship with him. Um, um, I started in, in high school, I, I took a class called Biology 101. I guess it was just biology, high school biology. Um, and the teacher was an atheist and, and taught us that, you know, everything can be explained without a creator. We don't need a creator. These amino acids can form together with these chemicals, and there doesn't have to be a God to put it together. They just kind of come together, and then things can evolve through the process of natural selection or other um, processes that, that things could evolve, and that we, even as human beings, can be here because of random things coming together and evolving. And, and that was the first time I kind of heard that as a high schooler, and I'm thinking about that and thinking about, well, in church as a kid, at least, I learned in a creator and I was really interested in biology. In fact, even in college, I got a degree in biology because I just like science and being a nerd and biology and kind of stuff like that. And so I was torn between, well, do I believe that there's a creator? 
Do I believe that there is um, just this random things that, that come together and make us who we are? And, and for me in high school, I became a Christian that year because something inside of me, I would say the Holy Spirit, I would say God, was inside of me. Just, I mean, I had such a passion to figure this stuff out. I remember waking up at night and writing down some questions that I wanted to ask a friend of mine. The friend of mine was a Christian. He knew the Bible like the back of his hand. He has some kind of weird, uh, his name is Bo. He has some kind of weird um, memory for numbers and things like that. And so he, he could tell you like, like in 2007, when's my birthday going to be? And how old am I going to be? And he's like, bep, bep, bep. well, Monday, it'll be this. He has a weird memory for numbers. I say that to say that he knew where things were in the Bible very well. And he could tell me, well, there's a verse about this. It's in Genesis 5.18 or whatever it was. And so I would come to him with questions because he was a Christian. And he would say, you know, the, the Bible kind of answers that. Why don't you go check this verse out? And then as soon as uh, I got off the bus and on my way home, I would go get the Bible and open it up and look at the verses. Like, whoa, that's what he was talking about. That's in there. And then I would think of other questions and just be, there was such a passion inside of me to figure it out. And no one at any point during my testimony, sat me down and witnessed to me and said, Joe, here's, here's what you have to believe to be a Christian. It was all inside of me to the, to the glory of God that he put this desire inside of me to figure this out, whether it's a creator or whether things just came together in this molecular soup. And for me, it was, it was so clear as I began studying the Bible and, and kind of developing this idea that I needed a relationship with Jesus that this whole thing inside of me the Holy Spirit helped me to just seek God out. And I think that happens still today. I think that happened to me, happens to the wise men who are seeking things out. And I think that happens, it could be a potentially another answer in the Oprah conversation that, that God will put something inside of you. And if you follow that, you will come to Jesus and your Savior. And I think that's because God, I, I truly believe that God loves us all and all gives us the chance to come to know Him because He's a good God. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? God, we worship you and trust you. We sincerely trust you for the salvations of people. God, wherever they're at that, that, that have never heard about you, God, would you use us in some way, somehow, to, to, to minister to people that have never heard about you, that, that truly don't understand salvation? God, would you empower us? Would you create in us a stir of knowledge that we might Go from here and just be excited to read the Bible, to get into your word, to know who you are on a greater level. Fill us with that desire, God. We're praying for it. We're asking you for it, Jesus. And so we all love you. We praise you. And everybody said, amen.